Welcome to the Founder to Mentor podcast. My name is Mike Fada. I'm an entrepreneur with multiple nine-figure exits and a passion for health and mentorship. Join me on a journey where I connect with world-class founder mentors to inspire your personal and professional growth. Let's jump into it. I'm excited to have this conversation with Annette Verscheren, founder and CEO of NR Store. Welcome to Founder to Mentor, Annette. Great to be here. Can you uh, start us out with an, and give us an introduction on yourself and, and our store? You know, I'm a, I, I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I've also been in the corporate uh, world. But I am running a company called Interstore. And Interstore is a developer of energy storage projects. We have to take all this renewable energy and capture it and store it when it's needed on the grid. And so I've been working and founded this little company since 2012. And we've done all kinds of different technologies, flywheel technology, smaller projects, compressed air technology, behind the meter, battery technology. But the most recent announcement is a very big battery project that we're building uh, in partnership with Six Nations of the Grand River and along with Northland Power and, uh, and Acon as investors. And so that project took five years to develop. Shoulder to shoulder, working with Matt Jamison and his team at Six Nations, we participated. It was a 50-50 partnership that we developed, and, uh, and we convinced um, the ISO, the provincial government, the federal governments, uh, that this was a really good uh, uh, great project to, to, to develop in Canada, and it's the first of its kind, it's the biggest uh, energy storage project, one of the biggest in North America, one of the biggest in the world. It's 250 megawatts, 1,000 megawatt hours, so it's going to take excess, the excess wind that we curtail, it'll take any additional hydro, it'll take any, make, make the nuclear plants more efficient take in that excess energy and put it back on the grid when it's needed. It's, uh, it's, it's a great project. It's exciting because it allows the, the, the grid to, to uh, generate and to load. So to, do bo- to have electricity going both ways. And that's, it's a very uh, exciting new world. This is something that, uh, that started as an idea. I went around the world, saw water, food, and energy, the three big things that had to be fixed. I settled on energy and and uh, here we go, in our, in our store in 2012. Yeah, well, uh, congratulations. It's a long time to, uh, to stay in the pocket um, and, 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 and working towards, you know, that, the big project starts. So yeah. as you know, and it, you're not, you're not uh, new to it, it's, a, it's the 10-year overnight success for this business, yeah. or it's just it's starting. To. Yeah. How, how uh, you know, just, just for perspective, because I know it's new for me, I mean, you know, battery storage and, and, uh, is a big part of uh, a renewable energy and, and the grid. Uh, just the perspective of how big the battery plant will be, um, like yeah. powering homes or, or a portion of that? It's, uh, it's pretty significant in size, 250 megawatts. You know, the average gas plant's about that size as well. And so it's, you know, it uh, it can, I don't know how many homes, or, but how big a community it, it, it would service, but quite a bit. I mean, it's uh, it'll be a significant asset on the on the grid and uh, a great tool for uh, for the operators. And so and so what we're trying to do is also reduce the amount of time that gas generators have to provide the service is peaking service, basically, is what we're what we're trying to satisfy. And, you know, instead of having gas generation, uh, battery technology will it's it's fast. It's quicker. It's it's a nanosecond to take it in and release it. Yeah, it's like having the Tesla Tesla storage battery in your house, but you guys are you guys are powering it powering a city. Yeah, yeah. Except we do have a 
Tesla Power Empower business. It's a little company that we started with with Tesla. We have put Tesla Power Walls, which is residential batteries, in their homes to do exactly. Ah. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. got to. And, and what what um, before before you got into NR Store, you had a, a very rich corporate career. Can you talk about sure? And what what got you in the business and how you became really in the leadership position that, uh, that you were through your career? So. You know, I started my career in the coal mining business, nine years in Cape Breton, underground mining. I was the director of planning. Uh, and uh, But I saw the future of coal back then was not going to have a big future. And uh, I came to Toronto in 1986, and I was so convinced that governments couldn't run companies. I joined the privatization arm of the federal government and sold a lot of companies. And there I met amazing people. You know, I met Purdy Crawford. I met uh, amazing business leaders. So I, I then I went to Amasco uh, as vice president of corporate development, which was a pretty big job, particularly for a woman, right, back in those days. And I wanted to do, I wanted to operate something. Women were being pigeonholed into, into staff positions. And so I made a deal with Crawford. And he said, I said, look, I want to run something. I will be your vice president of corporate development, but I want I want to have a budget and I want to uh, manage people. And so I ran a little retail operation called the Denver Men, au masculine in Quebec, and uh, did that for a year. Got smitten by retail, saw there was a big opportunity there. Wanted to restructure the Denver Men, didn't work out. I left, and then I went to the U.S. and convinced the Michaels, the Arts and Crafts store, to come to Canada. I invested every nickel that I had into that company and I became a shareholder and we opened uh, 17 stores in 26 months. And that's and then Home Depot approached me. It was a time that it was really tough to leave Michaels because I had to deal with them that by 98, they could buy me out. And, uh, but, uh, but Home Depot liked, liked me and uh, wanted me to come work with them. And uh, I eventually joined them in 1996. And uh, there had a wonderful career, 15 years, uh, opened 161 stores in Canada, took a little company of 600 million to 6 billion in sales, opened China for them between 2006 and 2009, and ran an operation in the U.S. And I led the environmental committees, the committee of, of Home Depot corporate. And so I was... I, I've always been very interested in the environment. Uh, quite frankly, work with the vendors to, uh, you know, to improve their forest practices, third-party certification. Um, did all kinds of things to improve the packaging and uh, reduce the packaging. And I just really saw the environment as uh, uh, we were just taking way too much of Mother Earth. I saw that as a retailer and uh, tried to do everything in my power to, to, to help it get better for customers. Yeah, it's a, an incredible career. It's very, uh, it's very inspiring, especially, um, you know, and, and this is talked about, thankfully, more and more nowadays, but like being a woman in a male-dominated industry, and I, I can't imagine a more male-dominated industry than, than Home Depot or, you know, construction and just kind of everything involved with that. Just what was it like? Um, <laughs> and did that, did that change over time? Have you, have, it you, did. have you been a witness to Angel. the change that's happening yeah. for, for equality yeah. and diversity? Yeah, look, uh, it, it, it's changed, thank God. And it, uh, there's still a long way to go uh, in terms of diversity. Um, but when I started, I was the first woman outside of the Home Depot to be put in an operational role. I was the first um, 
person without a lot of Home Depot experience, etc. So it was a, I didn't realize how big a challenge it, it was, but it was a big challenge. Oh my God. And Canada wasn't doing so well. And so I had to work to turn it around. Uh, but there are just so many wonderful stories about, uh, about those first few days and months. And I remember Arthur Blank was the, the COO at the time. And first meeting, and there's 17 guys in me, right? And so I, I say to Arthur, I said, look, I think there's a big opportunity in the interior of homes, in, you know, in the bathrooms, in the flooring, in the decor departments. Because at the time, it was really a lot of the, uh, you know, nails and power equipment and lumber and all that, which is great stuff. But we wanted to, wanted to add to the footprint. And I remember, they weren't listening. And so I said to Arthur, I said, do you, Arthur, if you were sitting amongst... 17 women and you represented a customer that was buying at your store that represented 50% and you couldn't get your point across you know how would you feel and I, I'll never forget he puts he pulls himself back from the, from the table and he says I never thought of it that way Annette. and I said you want to expand your business you have to understand and filter how women think and I'm here to help you do that and you know what? I've always been someone that that speaks their mind, you know. And I'm I'm and I did it in a nice way, but it was really it was firm, and he got it right, and he got it. And so many times, uh, you know, that company listened to to what my perspective was because there were so few women in operations at the time, and so few women in merchandising, hardly anybody. And uh, so you know, I was a trailblazer there. And, you know, they let me do a lot. They basically said, look, and that will give you, you know, a few, you know, millions of dollars, billions of dollars, quite frankly, at 3%, and you go and build. And, you know, they never stopped me. They, they encouraged me. And they gave me a big, big sandbox to play in. Now, I performed. It's one thing about the Americans, boy. I'll tell you, you perform, and... Uh, and uh, they don't pay a lot of attention to you. And, you know, it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful because I ran basically, you know, I, I ran all parts of the operation in Canada. And, and we grew this amazing company, uh, you know, from, from $600 million to $6 billion in sales. Yeah. And everybody was betting against me. There were all kinds of people saying, how long will she last? Huh? How long is this, this gal going to last? But, you know, I think... Look, I'm a farmer's daughter. Uh, I learned how to shovel shit at a very young age and milk cows. And, you know, I, I didn't think I was that different than men. And I think part of this is, you know, an attitude too, right? And, and, and I had certainly felt I had the capacity of, uh, of, 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 you know, and I was equal to. And so I, that, I was brought up that way, Mike. And that's a good way to be brought up. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you, know, you exude the confidence. Uh, I wonder... Did you uh, did you suffer or struggle with uh, imposter syndrome through any of the uh, th through any of that pressure uh, while you're while you're in that environment, or is that just something that you you don't you don't personally feel? Or well, look, did I have moments? Oh my God, yes. Was I was I you know? But, but I I was I was always I, I had confidence in myself, Mike, and and that really got me through a lot of stuff. I. I used to worry a lot about what people thought, but I learned that you can't manage that. And I learned to be true to who I am. And I have 
a certain set of values that I lived through, uh, you know, through all of my career. And, you know, I'm, I, that, I just really feel comfortable in my skin, you know, and, and there, and I call it, I call it as I see it, right? And I always have, you know, I remember being on a board a while back and I was looking at the salaries of the men and women and I noticed that the top 10 salaries were women and the, you know, the rest above were men. And so I asked the question, I think it was my first board meeting, I said, why are the salaries of of uh, women so much less than the, anyway, that changed pretty quickly in a year. And, and, but these are things that, that you have to have also the confidence to call out, have to have the confidence to, to, you know, not embarrass, but to, to present facts. And so there's been a million uncomfortable moments in my life, but I've always remained, you know, naturally who I am. And I think that's, that really helped me through, you know, through life. Through my- yeah. Well, raised with, uh, with good, good values, maybe the hardcore values. I mean, I, for me, I'm raised with a single mom. And so the, uh, the, the, the woman, women, men, women in leadership, I've never had any issue with that because no. I saw it as, as natural. And so I've been a big spokesperson yes. and sponsor for that over the, uh, over the years, because it, it just, there, there's all the benefit and, and, um, yeah. but you just have to be bold enough to, yeah. I guess, you know, have the can. Yeah. And, you know, I would say to women that are listening to this podcast, oh, you have so much more capacity than you think you do. And, you know, a lot of it is just giving people permission to move ahead, to take that risk, to, I'm a risk taker. I've been a risk taker all my life. That's, I think, a little piece that distinguishes me. And, uh, you know, whether switching out of arts into business I did that without telling my parents. <laughs> Until my marks are good enough, I told them. But I, I, I've always been a bit of a, yeah, I've always tried things. I'm not afraid to ask. I am not afraid to, um, I've discovered in my life that uh, if, if, you, if your logic's behind you, you do your homework and you ask, invariably you get a positive response, right? And, and it's just, it's the not asking. It's the refraining from going forward that sometimes limits us. And, and you know, women are getting way better at this. I mean, young women blow me away, blow me away. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and, and, and when we get to the point where 50% of people in leadership positions are women, uh, which is a day that I don't know whether I'll see, but it's getting a heck of a lot better, Mike, than, yeah. than it yeah. More and more mainstream. So, um, yeah. hey, you, 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 uh, you know, a lot of experience internationally yep. working with U.S. companies and then with Home Depot, uh, uh, expanding them into uh, in, into the brand into China. A lot of founders, a lot of entrepreneurs are are dealing with that international in some capacity. Maybe it is Canada to the U.S. or U.S. to Canada, or yep. maybe it's more broad than that globally. What you know, some of your key learnings that people should be thinking about um, if they aspire to to build a global brand. Yeah, look, I think. Um, you know, I think it's really important to understand the world broader than our little country in Canada, which, you know, which is not a big country and we depend so much on exports. And so our entrepreneurs need to really get comfortable in Canada. You know, hopefully their first order is in Canada, but you've got to go beyond, right? You really have got to go beyond. And so my experience working internationally has been, uh, so broadening for me, right? The time in China, wow, 
Um, you know, I was there from 2006, lived through the Olympics, uh, uh, and 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 I saw, and I didn't live there. I was going there once a month. It was uh, quite. An ex I was running Canada still, so it was like uh, it was more than uh, than a normal person would have to manage. But I found it exciting. I, I, you know. Uh, Home Depot went, went in there not really knowing enough uh, of how that, that world operates, you know, and I think that, that what I found is I love the people of China. I really did. I thought the customer was great. I thought the employees were great. Uh, you know, they, they live in a different culture. There's no question about uh, that communism is, uh, uh, you know, that's an autocratic state and it's, it's, it's different uh, in terms of uh, how we think is, uh, you know, in our democracies. But uh, it, was, it was so interesting to, uh, to learn, to have to, to have to respond, to have to win their trust was a lot of work, huh? And um, you know, you know, sometimes I'd have colleagues coming in with me, and they'd get all frustrated. And I, you can't do it that way. You know, you have to understand where the people in this company in China are come from, and understand what they need to do to move forward. And so there was just a million a million things that I learned about a very different country, a very different country than Canada. And I just was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed with how fast the growth was. I remember we had stores in Tianjin, and so I'd land in Beijing, drive to Tianjin, it would take three and a half, four hours. And then just before the Olympics, they opened up the fast train. It took 27 minutes, not even 20, 23 minutes to get to Tianjin. And they just built the infrastructure, like so, so fast and so aggressively, they, you know, their the objectives were set and execution happened. And you know, no matter what the implications were, you know, a lot of people, you know, I think lost their lives building, you know, some of these Olympic stadiums. And and uh, it, you know, it's it's a it's an environment that was, yeah, sometimes difficult to accept, but uh, you had to learn to adjust. And uh, you have to be a chameleon in these types of situations. The United States, same. I mean, the United States is, a, is a, you know, when I was working, I, built, I was running the Home Depot Design Centers. And so I was in the Midwest and I, East Coast, the West Coast. I was, there's 50 different countries in the United States. And uh, so I, I found it fascinating. I found it, you know, but they all want... They all want to take care of their families. They all want to create family. They all want to want a good life. They all want to, you know, have uh, the right uh, lifestyles. And so, to me, you know, uh, finding uh, the common ground and understanding, you know, how they think and work and how to motivate them and how to build plans with them and how to execute was just so much fun. It really was. I love people, right? And so... You got to love people to be a leader. You got to love being around them to be a leader. And you have to work. You have to understand the discipline of, of process and procedure and uh, and, uh, and all of the financial acumen and, and all the stuff that takes to become a leader. But you have to love people. Uh, otherwise, it, uh, I just don't think it works that easily. Yeah, I 100% agree. And uh, it, it um, there's no better way than to go and be local yeah. visit wherever you're wherever you're going where, wherever you're uh, wherever you think you want to take a new market to whether that's the next province or state over or a different, yeah. different country yeah you've been, you've been um highly innovative you talked about 
you know, in Home Depot, bringing kind of home center of the home and home goods and stuff to the store. And then, and obviously, you know, being, being early in renewable energy and, you know, with the, with, with uh, the project that you're doing within our store right now, how do you innovate? How, how are you, how are you personally thinking about innovation or what, what, what drives that for you? Yeah. So one of the things that grabbed me early at home, well, grabbed me early at, with my father you know, my father had a heart attack when he was, when I was 11 years old, and he had to take the labor out of the farm. And he replaced the fertilizer with using manure, shit, as they say in Cape Breton, basically spreading it, putting it in a, you know, basically built a big toilet, and then he had a, uh, built a big facility, and he'd stir the, the manure, and he'd put it on the field all year round. And so he, he reduced the cost of having escalators to, 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 to remove manure, he he found ways to. Um, he, he taught me that look, you got to treat the land better. You got to treat your animals better. I remember, I remember he brought music into the cow barn, and the productivity, the milk productivity, increased about ten percent. He was a he was a guy that really wanted his kids to help him run the firm. So. So he was innovative. So that that came to me through my parents, really did. And but when I joined Home Depot, Arthur Blank asked me to to run the the to be the first environmental committee chair. And at the time, the Indigenous peoples of Canada and, and quite frankly all over the world were really upset with us because we were buying lumber from badly managed forest areas, right? And uh, whether it was the Amazon or whether it was. Uh, in, in the boreal forests in, in Canada, and and a lot of these uh, operators weren't taking responsible uh, positions. So I sat down with the vendors, with my, with our merchants, and said, "Look, what can we do to make this change?" And with a bunch of great people, and we said to all the vendors, two years. We're going to give you two years. You have to have third party certification." And we gave them a list of third parties, uh, you know, certification that were appropriate. And you know what? It worked. Lost about three or four vendors, but that changed the way forests were managed in the world. And then Lowe's followed, and the whole industry followed. And, and you know, you don't realize the impact that you make, you know, with the right policies. And it, that's where I saw how purchasing power could really do good, right? Really do good. And so... One year, the WWF honored me as a as a as someone that really has made an impact in the world on uh, forest practices, and so I'm very proud of that. You know, and so it's that, it was things like that that really, and I did stuff like you know I I was one of the first people to do you know battery lawnmowers, you know the combustion the the, the emissions out of some of these single cycle lawnmowers were just crazy. So. And so I, I saw that transition, right? I saw that transition. When I, when I went to Home Depot, everything was plugged in. When I left Home Depot, everything had a battery in it. It's really interesting. So I, I understand lithium-ion batteries, right? And, and I understand the capacity of them. And I understood storage. And, and so as Home Depot got bigger, it built warehouses and storage across the country. And guess what? It really improves the just-in-time returns, returns the margins, returns the the uh, the sales per store, and so it was. It's sort of that's the linkages between 
you know, why I got into the energy storage business and, and what I did with Home Depot. So it was, it was constant. You know, I, I was a, a leader in social areas too. I, I really wanted to bring a lot more women into the company and, and I tried all kinds of things, like splitting the store manager's job, you know, with, with, two, with two people. I, I, I was the, you know, very quick when I was running Expo Design Center, the, the people that were that uh, LBGT, uh, people did not have any benefits, right? And in Canada, we had benefits long, way longer than the United States. And I went to the CEO and I said, I can't believe, you know, I got a whole bunch of people in this organization that don't have benefits. Like, why, why aren't you giving them benefits? You know, couples, heterosexual couples are getting benefits. Anyway, did that, right? And so if you don't ask, you don't get, right? And so my whole, my whole life, I, I, I try to do what's right for society, for the environment. This is, these are my filter systems, right? And that, that has really given me such focus and such opportunity and and I can get things done. I can get things done through people that believe in the mission, in that are part of the thinking of what needs to get done. And yeah, so that that's that's something that I really have lived by all of my life, Mike. Yeah, I love it. It's you know making the world a uh, a better place and and being bold. Yeah. You know, to 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 do that. What's the uh, what's the craziest thing that's happened to you in business? Oh, what's the craziest thing that's happened to me in business? Oh, um, oh, I've made mistakes. Yeah, you know, there was a, I made mistakes in real estate, bought the wrong property a couple of times. I made, I'm, I'm, I make, I make mistakes in leaders, right? I, I, I think that I can uh, change a leader to, you know, to fit, to fit what needs to have done. And then, then I, I made mistakes, and it's really hard. The hardest part about leadership is getting the right people in the right spot at the right place in their lives. And people change and they grow out of leadership positions and they grow into leadership positions. And so that part, and you know, there was a, I was the second year at Home Depot and, and I had, I, I just wasn't happy with the way things were going. And I knew that people were pushing back and I did a three, a live 360, you know, where all the people that report to you tell you what they really think, and the people that are your peers tell you what really your boss. It was the most terrible thing I ever went through in my entire life. But it was true. And I allowed myself to be vulnerable enough to accept. I didn't agree with it all, but I, I agreed with most of it. I had to because I there's the only the only way you can change, the only way you can respond. And so I took that on, man. I'll tell you, I'll never forget it. Like Monday morning, I said to my team, here are the things that I got to get done, and you guys need to help me get them done. Call me out when I, when I favor someone. Call me out when, I, when I, I'm partial to, uh, to, to a department. Call me out when I don't spend enough time with you. And I did that, and it took a year. But you know what? That next year, I had the best 360 in the world, right? And so I've always... I made a lot of mistakes. There's no question. And I've made, there were tough things that I had to do. Like, I remember, I'll give you an example. We had a piece of property down Cherry Street. And you wouldn't remember this, but the homeless started to build 
tents. And then they started to build little houses on this property. There were 102 of them. And it got started to get dangerous, right? And so we tried to stop it, uh, but it, it couldn't be stopped. I tried to work with the government to build a temporary facility for the home, all kinds of stuff. Didn't work. And so I had to remove them. I couldn't get the police to do it. I had to do it with private people. And that was probably one of the toughest things I ever did in my entire life. And it was a very lonely job because the people that were advising me were saying, don't do it. Some people were saying yes. A lot of people were saying no. And I called um, Bob Nardelli at the time and I said, he said, what do you want to do in that? And I said, I have to. I said, the risk here of someone dying down there or someone, some, something tragic happening is very high. And it would be on us, right? And so I worked, my team and I worked with all the agencies. We had placements for those 102 people. We took, we, we took all of their belongings. And for six months, I think, we held, held onto their stuff and they could pick it up. And, and it was rough. It was a really rough thing to do. But at the end of the day, I didn't hurt the brand of Home Depot. And I don't think I hurt my brand either. What, one of the editorials in The Sun was uh, Annette for sure and for mayor. And, but it, it was something that was gutsy to do, right? Really gutsy. It could have gone the other way. Could have been. But, but it's all about execution for me. Plan it. Execute it. Take care of these great people. And you know what? I, they're, they were beautiful people. They, they did nothing wrong but I had to get them off the property. And, and so I tried to help along the way. And that cost four million bucks. Had to even put a store on this thing, right? And you know what I love about Home Depot? They let me spend that money. They never questioned me on that. So I, I you know, the, the, they, were, they were leaders that really understood, I think, good leadership, right? And they were behind me when I did stuff like that. So was that a mistake? Could have been a mistake. Could have been a, Mike, I could have, Ruined my career. But I think I made the right decision. And, uh, you know, it's, it's you got to have the confidence to do that. So Yeah, that's a great, great share. What, is, what does mentorship mean to you? Look, my life, you know, I've been really influenced by a lot of people. And I think mentorship is really important. I, I, I watch people. I follow people. I have been, I've got great relationships with many, many people, and I keep them. One of my, the chapters in the book that I wrote is that your network is your net worth. And so I always stayed close to people that let me in, people that gave me that opportunity. And that's been a really wonderful circle for me all of my life. You know, the East Coast, the McCain's and the, they're, 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 Irvings and there are just they've really treated me well right and Purdy Crawford is one of the most amazing leaders that supported me I met him when I was 27 years old I made a presentation in that coal company that I was operating it was in as director of planning and I made a presentation on Lingan Fallon which was the last mine that was built and he comes up to me at the end of that meeting and he says Annette if you ever leave Cape Breton come and see me and so my father died that year. That was in 1984. And so I, I stayed with my mom uh, for a couple of years. But I, I knew I had to leave. And I called him up. And he offered me a job. And it wasn't the job that, that was right for me. And I, I took on. I, I, that's when I privatized companies for the federal government. 
but a couple years later, he came back and he says, Vice President of Corporate Development. And I said, here's a deal. Let me, let me run something. I'll do your Vice President of Corporate Development. And, and it was a great, that was the biggest job, I think, private sector job, one of the biggest in the country, right? I was so lucky. But he gave me a lot of confidence. My father gave me a lot of confidence. My mother gave me a lot of confidence. You know what? And I say to everybody that has children, inspire them, right? And my parents weren't critical. They, of course, we were all working on the farm, so they all had to love us because we, the only way that it was going to work is to, to be with us. But they treated us like, like they trusted us. And he, you know, he would sometimes take my hand and, and he would say, Annette, you're one of my best milkers. He'd say that to me privately, right? I, I was with three brothers and a sister, and we all worked hard. But you know what? I was the one that would get the boys organized to get them in the bar. And I, I you know what? I, I was always, I was a middle child. That there, my, my mom had four kids within five years. So I was the third one, and there was no time for me, right? And I just, you know, I, I think I started to walk when I was about uh, 10 months old or 11 months. I just... I just, you know, uh, I, you know, and I think I... You're a natural-born natural leader. A natural-born leader. A natural... Yeah. That's right. I just from where I was in the, in the middle of the pack in my family. Yeah. Tell, tell, tell us more. That's how we got connected on, uh, is, was on uh, the book, actually, when I, uh, when I was teeing up to, uh, to launch Grow, uh, a, a mutual associate said, hey, you got to talk to Annette. <laughs> um, she, she's, you know give me a little bit of background on who you were and what you're doing and, and, uh, and then about your book. And I thought, you know, it was a perfect fit to, uh, to share with other founders, but tell, tell us more about yeah. it. And Mike, there's one other thing I want to say about mentorship. I think sponsorship is really important. And I think sponsorship when you're, when people really helped me when they were around the boardroom tables or they were in environments where they said, you know what? She's really impressive. She, she can get things done. She's, you know, she's, she's talented. And, 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 and in those days, nobody, you know, like it, it's changed considerably, but Purdy Crawford sponsored me always in environments where, you know, uh, where he was probably the only one doing that. Right. And so sponsorship's really important. And whether it's sponsoring an indigenous person or a person of color or, you know, an older person, I'm, I really believe in diversity of thought, diversity of of age, diversity of sexual orientation, diversity. I really do. It makes a richer decision. I have learned that so much, so often. Nothing scares me more than an homogenous group of people. Nothing, nothing. Uh, in business, particularly. So, you know, I think that to me is just very important. So now your question about the book, what, I'll tell you why I wrote the book, Mike. There was, I guess, in the mid-2015 or so, um, my sister said, Annette, why don't you write a book? And we started writing a book about my parents, right? And then we took it to uh, HarperCollins and a few other places, and they said, Annette, you got to write the book about what you did in your career and your life, how you managed it, how you balanced it. And that's how the book started, right? And... The big reason that I wrote the book is that everybody, all of my life, everybody wanted to be mentored by me, right? And which is a wonderful compliment. But there's, you know, I got to I gotta build businesses. I, I've been a builder all of my life. And so you can do so much of that. And I do, I do a lot of it still. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to write a book 
not a, a true authentic book about the good and the bad and the ugly and how I got through you know my life until I think it was you know I was at our store when when I finished it but I I just really wanted to give people that are interested in how my journey came how I succeeded and at the end of each each of the uh, each less each chapter of the book I talk about the summary of what's in there so you can take that book and you can uh, you want to talk about people you want to talk about you know uh, execution versus uh, strategy I mean I I just I had fun with it and I I put it in the chapters that that went along my life and and I also you know I work hard but I play hard too Mike and I work hard to play hard and I work hard I've been I've traveled to 65 countries in the world. I love to explore. I love to be part of, I love to do things. And I think that in that spirit, I wanted to say, look, you want to be successful, be successful also in your life. Because if you don't get that piece right, the work doesn't complement it. It really doesn't. I 100% agree. And, uh, you know, I think we're aligned there. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Now you gotta be, you gotta be happy. I, I'm so, I'm so blessed with my sister and three brothers and my nieces and nephews and now my second husband and his kids and his grandkids, and I, you know what? It's what it's all about, right? It's it's all about family. It's all about uh, you know, having people around you that encourage you. Um, it's all about being happy, and I'm really happy. I'm positive, and one of the reasons that's so positive, I believe that people are gonna live longer when they're positive. People that are negative die early. I'm telling you. That's my experience. My experience. I, I was I was already there. <laughs> I, I I lived as negative uh, for the first probably 18 or 20 years of my life yes. and uh, you know physically uh, not in the right space so then mentally not in the right space and and uh, and yeah, it feels like dying. Um so I'd imagine that later in life you do die early how did compared you, how to How did you get out of it, Mike? You know, a whole lifestyle change and uh, which was a which was started with a new belief system that I could change and, um, and I could make my best day ever. Yeah. It's just going to take a lot of work. So a vision board of what I wanted me to look like, and then change the things that I was eating and change the things that I was listening to and who I was hanging out with. And then, you know, got into the business, uh, the health food business. So aligned my, my, my profession with my personal passion. And, and then, you know, it's been now 25 years on that journey, but it uh, it started just with the with the realization I needed to change, and there was something better for me, and 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 scoping out what my best day ever looked like. That's true. Which is which is why you know that's why I want to share that with the world. It's really about yep. growth. If you uh, if you if if you vision something and you put work effort there, yeah. you can you can grow personally and professionally to whatever you want to achieve. Yeah, and Mike, you're so right. And so what happened to me as a kid? I was 15. I had came down with a kidney condition, and I had four operations on my kidneys between the ages of 15 and 19, 20. I guess I was 20. I had um, uh, this was the old days, right? And I had took a real allergy towards the, uh, um, the anesthetic, and I I wanted to die every time I would have an operation. I really wanted to die. A hereditary disease passed down, but was all stomach disease with these great great uncles back in Holland. My my aunt went and looked it up. Uh, Hydronephrotic kidneys is what I had, and but I that's my baseline, right? And so 
from there, you know, then I started, it took me a few years to get healthy again, but I abused myself. I was wild a couple of years at university, like out of control. I ended up in the hospital. My parents would think, oh, it's her kidneys. No, it was my wild, uh, I, I was rebelling. I just did not understand why I couldn't be like everybody else. The doctors told me I couldn't have any children. So there was, that was a rough time in my life. And you can t take either pathway, right? I, I took the pathway you took. I said, this is not going to, this is not going to make me happy. This is not going to fulfill me. This is not going to help me through life. And so that, that, that was my baseline. That was the place that if I have a bad day, I think of waking up in the recovery room, uh, wanting to die. And it's not such a bad issue. It's really, it, the, my perspective is totally different. It's just another problem to solve. It's just another opportunity to, to, uh, to present yourself to, to fix things. So to me, I am really lucky that I had that experience at, at that age. I have a much more fulfilled life than if I, you know, had my whole life uh, without any obstacles. I think obstacles make people. It, it is, yeah. It's the uh, it's the enjoying the journey, both the hard parts and the uh, and the good part. And and you exude that, and you're inspiring. And I appreciate uh, you for taking the time. Uh, I know time is the most valuable resource, and taking the time to uh, to share uh, your journey and some of what you're up to now with the uh, with the founder to mentor uh, uh, listeners. Um, for everyone out there, go and get a copy of Annette's book. Bet on me. While you're doing that, go buy a copy of Grow if you don't have that already in your hands and uh, and be inspired and have some actionable tips to uh, to further your career or your entrepreneurship. Um, thanks again so much, Annette. I uh, um, really enjoyed the uh, conversation and, uh, and thanks for being open and sharing. Yeah, Mike, it was great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Founder to Mentor podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check out the links and resources in the show notes. You can help the show, please, by subscribing and leaving a positive review. As always, feel free to get in touch with me on social at Mike Fada. That's it for now. See you next time.